May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, in 1942, on a summer evening, a knock came to the back door of a house, this house in Holland. And the family opened the door, and there was a a lady standing there holding a suitcase. She was wearing her fur coat. It was summertime. She had um, a veil over her face, and she was wearing gloves, and she announced her name, and then she said, I am a Jew, and my husband's been arrested, my son has gone into hiding, and the Gestapo has closed our family business. And she says, I didn't know where else to turn. She came to this house, to this family, because this family had a reputation for goodness. This family had a reputation for helping people and for being friendly to Jews who were being persecuted at this time. This was the Tin Boom family, T-E-N-B-O-O-M. And some of you know uh, the story of the Tin Boom family. The, one of the daughters, Corey Tin Boom, wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And in that book, she describes how her family took Jewish people into their home and they built a secret wall and, and, and the, the Jewish family stayed behind the secret wall as long as they could until it was uh, tragically discovered by the, by the Nazis. But this family, the members of this family, they risked their lives to help others, and some of them gave their lives. The father of this family, he was a watchmaker. They didn't have a whole lot of money, but he raised his four children. And then he took other children into his home. Corey Tim Boone writes that there were um, 11 more children after he raised the four that he fed and clothed and took care of. And she says, whenever he heard of a child in need of a home, a new face would appear at our table. The mother of this family, who was sickly and spent a lot of time in bed, she, she still found a way to reach others. She knitted clothing for children. She made caps and baby dresses. And she would send cards of encouragement to those who were sick and shut in. That was the kind of family this was. Well, what was behind all that? What was behind the acts of goodness? What was behind the moral courage that it took to to shelter the Jews? What was behind this was this was a family that sought to know God and to honor Him and to serve others in His name. This was a family that regularly gathered around the Scriptures Father would read from the Bible. They were involved in their local church. They were regular worshipers. That's where the goodness came from. It came from their relationship with God. That's where the moral courage came from. They were salt and light in their extraordinary time. Well, in our gospel reading, Jesus says that this is how all of his disciples are to be. Salt and light in the world. And um, I want to focus on just that part of the teaching from our selection here in Matthew chapter 5. This will be verses 13 through 16. 
we'll look maybe next week at what he says in 16 through 20. I just want to focus on these familiar words of Jesus where he says to his disciples, this is the role that you're to have in the world. In your own time, in your own place, we're, we're all called to be salt and light. Um, just want to make a connection to what we've been saying these last couple of weeks. We've been looking at the Beatitudes in which Jesus is painting a portrait of a Christian's character, the ideal character of a Christian in the Beatitudes. And uh, we've talked about how we don't try to become these sorts of people that Jesus is saying we are called to be or that he is pronouncing us to be. We don't try to become these sorts of people in our own strength. We become these sorts of people by following Jesus and staying close to Jesus, and then the work of the Spirit of God begins to produce this fruit, this character, in our life. And the connection between the Beatitudes and what we're talking about here this morning, salt and light, is that those who have the character of the Beatitudes will be salt and light in the world. Those who are shaped by the Spirit of God and following Christ will be salt and light in the world. What does it mean, then, to be salt and light? This is a simple sermon. I'm going to remind you of things you already know this morning, most likely. You've heard these things before. So let's just break this down. First, the salt. Jesus pronounces, he calls his disciples salt and light. And um, in the ancient world, salt played an important role in preserving food. This was before refrigeration. And, of course, just like today, salt played an important role in flavoring food. And um, just to talk a little bit about the flavoring that salt adds to food, uh, I did a little reading on salt this, this week and found out that, and I don't pretend to understand the science behind this, that salt it doesn't just add saltiness to food. In fact, we know that if you have too much salt on food, if you put salt on top of a potato chip, you're probably not going to like it too much. It's too salty. But the other thing that, that salt does besides add salty flavors is that it enhances good flavors of food. And it blocks out bitter flavors. And so, um, you know, I was eating some tomato soup this, earlier this week when I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, yeah, I add some salt, and it, it brings out, it's not just salty, but it makes the tomato soup more tomatoey. Brings out, it enhances the good, good flavors. And, and I think that's part of what Jesus maybe getting at here in this, in this imagery, in this description of disciples as, as salt. We are to be flavor enhancers. Flavor enhancers. A non-Christian should be able to look at a Christian and say, we need more people like that because of their character, because of what they bring, what they bring to the job, what they bring to the community, what they bring to this family. There are qualities about this person that that make things better. We're not perfect, obviously, as Christians, but there ought to be a quality of goodness about us that causes us to stand out and make things better where we're at. Flavor enhancers. Somebody wrote that Christianity added a new flavor to the world when the Christian message began to spread in pagan society. It brought new zest into the world with new hope and new life. There's, there's nothing bland or tasteless about Christianity. 
and about following Christ. Nothing boring about it. We might make it boring. We might think it's boring, and maybe our taste buds have gotten dull, and our spiritual appetite has weakened. But there's nothing intrinsically boring about Christianity and following Christ. It's a great adventure. Um, you can spend your whole life studying the Bible and the teachings of Jesus, and you'll never plumb the depths of the wisdom that's there. Remember when I first started preaching at the previous church and just getting going, and somebody said, what are you going to say two or three years from now? Are you going to run out of things to say? I said, no, as long as I'm in this book, there are depths of wisdom still to uncover. You can spend your whole life, and you'll never plumb the depths of the wisdom of Christ. There's no greater challenge than the challenge that Christ issues to all of us. Take up your cross and follow me. Die to self and live for me. There's no greater love than the, the love that Christ has shown us on the cross. There's no greater hope than the hope that we have in Christ, the empty tomb, the resurrected body of Christ. There's no greater hope. And so Christianity and this message that Christianity brings into the world, it adds a flavor to life that this world cannot give. And we as disciples are to, to, to bear witness to that, to a watching world. Salt is a flavor enhancer. But also it plays an important role in preserving food. And it played that important role in the ancient world and in still places today where they don't have refrigeration like we have today. Salt um, preserves food by drying it out. It dries up the water. Bacteria likes water. So salt is a preserving agent because it dries up the water, making it difficult for bacteria to grow. And so when Jesus calls disciples salt of the, of the earth, part of what that means is that we are to act against the corruption and the corrosion that's in the world. The world because of, of sin and selfishness. That, the, the, the part of the world that is in rebellion against, against God. You know, the Bible uses different, uses different words, or uses the same word, I should say, in different contexts. There's a sense in which the world is good. God created the world. God blessed the world and called it good. And everybody in the world is created in the image and likeness of God. And there is common grace in the world. And there's many things to celebrate about the world. But there's also a part of the world that's dark and evil and in rebellion against God. And it leads to corruption and corrosion. And we are, as salt, as Jesus' followers, to, by our very presence... By the way that we live, by the things that we believe, and the actions that flow from that, and, and by our message, we are to act as a preserving agent against that, that corruption. You can think the world is like a rotting piece of meat in this sense because of the sin and the rebellion. And we are the disinfectants, and we are to be the preserving agents. And this is the role that Christian has, Christianity has played in the world when we've been at our best, and we haven't always been at our best, but Christians have played this role in society, acting against the corruption and the coercion of, um, yeah, corrosion of, of sin and selfishness in the world. I'll give you an example of this in the first century. 
The first century uh, pagan world was a place of sexual hedonism. That was a strong part of that culture, the Roman world in the first century. One ancient writer said that Rome is like a filthy sewer, and he was referring to the moral standards of the culture of his day. It was a culture where prostitution was accepted, sexual slavery was part of it, pedophilia was part of it, and... Um, in that culture, of course, people were, and the most vulnerable people, were dehumanized and treated as objects and abused. And children were sort of discarded and left behind. And it was in this culture that Christianity brought a new message and a new lifestyle that acted against that sort of corruption and abuse that was happening. The new message was Sex within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Marital fidelity. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. This was a message and this was a lifestyle that was better. Better for the culture. Better for women. Better for children. Better for families. Therefore, better for society. And it was salt that acted against the corruption of sin and selfishness. And we could go through a list of things, again, throughout history that Christians have, have been involved in that has acted in this way as salt. And um, you could talk about the abolition of slaves, the slave trade in the 19th century. That was evangelical Christians in England who started to push on that. You can talk about school reform in the 19th century, the establishment of hospitals and orphanages and even hospice care coming out of the Christian tradition. In all these ways, Christianity has acted like salt. But Jesus gives a warning here. You know, he makes these pronouncements, you're to be salt, but, you're to be light, but, don't hide it, you're to be salt, but, don't lose your saltiness. So he says, if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I'm told, again, by reading about salt this week, that salt is a very stable compound, uh, compound and, and so modern salt doesn't lose its saltiness, generally speaking. But in Jesus' day... There was salt that had impurities, and these could be sort of leached out. The salt could be leached out and, and lose its saltiness. So I think what Jesus is warning his disciples here is, I don't want you to be so influenced by the value system of the world that you lose your distinct flavor and your distinct role, the role that you're supposed to have in society. It's a warning against compromise. It's a warning against conformity. And this is something that we have to battle with, we have to, in the presence of God through prayer and through reading Scripture, we have to make sure that we're not being so influenced by our surrounding culture that we are losing our saltiness. How can a young man keep his way pure, David asked. And the answer was, by guarding it according to your word. How do we maintain our purity of action and thought in our culture today? Through the word of God. The word of God that convicts us. The word of God that challenges us, encourages us, 
and gives us the truth of God in a world where there's so much disinformation and lies. And so we have a responsibility to maintain our saltiness. The world needs you to be a salty Christian. Your family needs you to be a salty Christian. Your neighbors, your workplaces, your schools. The world needs salty Christians. We need to be who Christ calls us to be. We need to be who Christ pronounces us to be. And next, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So which is it? Are we the light or is he the light? It's both. <laughs> it's both, of course. He is the ultimate light of the world because he is the very, he's the son of God. He is God incarnate. He brings into this dark world the light and life of God. He is the ultimate light of the world. And we who are in relationship with him reflect his light to the world. It's like the sun and the moon. The moon does not generate its own light. The moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is the sun. We're like the moon. And as we stay close to him, as we're in relationship with him, we can reflect something of his light into the world. In our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 49, we see that God gave this role to Israel to be a light to the nations. Israel did not fulfill that role because Israel compromised. Israel compromised by committing idolatry and, and fell into the idolatry of the surrounding nations and cultures. They compromised. And then Jesus himself becomes, and this is part of what Isaiah 49 is about, is this prophecy of a servant who will take on the role of Israel to be the light to the nations. And that ultimately is what Jesus is. He gives the light of God, the salvation of God to, to the nations of the world. And then we, in relationship to Christ, can also be light to the world even today. Jesus says to us, God has put his light in you. And God has placed you in the world to shine with this light. You are positioned like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You are positioned like a lamp on a stand that gives light to all in the house. What is your meaning and purpose in life? Well, this is part of the answer, friends. As long as we have breath... <laughs> We are to be the light of the world, shining with the light of Christ. He has put us in this time and place. He's positioned us like a lamp on a lampstand in a house to shine where we are at. And it gives light, he says, to the whole house. What does it mean, though, to let your light shine? It can mean a number of things. We could talk about a whole litany, a whole list of things. I suppose, under this idea of letting your light shine. But look at how Jesus talks about it here. Let's just stick with the context. Look at verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I think Jesus is making an explicit connection between shining our light 
and our good works done before other people. Is that fair? Is that what Jesus is saying here? And um, as we talk about all the time, good works are not a way to earn salvation, but good works are a way to give glory to God for the salvation that he has given to us. And, and that's the end result here is, is you do good works, Jesus says, and as you do these things, people will see this and give glory to your Father in heaven. All the time? 100% of the time? No. Not all the time. He's also talked about how the world will persecute you for righteousness' sake. But there are times, there are people who will see the good works that Christians do and they'll say, there's something about that. There's something about their action that reveals some goodness and maybe that will lead them to inquire, to grow deeper and to ask people who are performing such works, what's the motive behind this? In fact, I've heard that before. For people who are engaging in good works in the neighborhood and, and with as an outreach or a ministry of the church, and people will say, why are you guys doing this? And they'll say, well, because of Jesus, and we love Jesus. And, and then that will lead to a conversation, a relationship that can lead people to Christ. But that's the ultimate objective, is to bring glory to God. That's why we want to shine in the world. Jesus, just as he did with the, the salt illustration, he, he issues a warning here. He says, don't, don't put your light under a, a basket. Don't hide your light. Why might we hide our light? What would be some reasons why we don't let our light shine the way that he calls us to? Well, may, maybe it's um, complacency. We're just not focused on that. We're doing our own things. We're busy with our own life and our own hobbies or our family and we're not really intentional about letting our light shine in the way that it should. I think I fall into that sometimes. I can just sort of have tunnel vision, living my own life, doing what I need to do and, and not necessarily letting my light shine before those who don't know Christ. Um, it might be cynicism, honestly. We live in kind of a cynical culture and because there's Sometimes such a disconnect between Christianity and our culture, we might think, you know what, what does it matter what I do? People don't care, and it's not going to make a big difference. Well, Jesus is saying, yes, but this is your role and your responsibility in the world as a disciple of Christ. This is who I'm calling you to be. This is who I say you are, and this is what you're to do in the world. You're to let your light shine. And we trust in the sovereignty of God to use it in whatever way he might. So let's not let complacency or cynicism or even fear stop us from being who God has made us to be in this world. I was thinking about this congregation and other congregations I've served and been part of, how everyday Christians have let their light shine. And... Uh, I just made a list of some of the ways that I've seen in this congregation and in other places. So there's some people who are really great at practicing hospitality. Families or individuals, and they'll have neighbors over, strangers over, and they'll develop relationships with them over a meal or a game. That's a good work. That's letting your light shine in our day and age where there's so much loneliness and people are isolated. I thought about husbands and wives who stay together for many years. 
and care for each other in old age. Fred and Patsy celebrated 66 years of marriage. We talked about that last week. You all, you, you let your light shine. I mean, that's a testimony to a watching world when you see couples staying together, caring for one another like that. I thought about people who show up to their workplace and they do their work with excellence and with integrity and with a heart to serve people. It's not all about them, but there's this heart of service and they do it with integrity and honesty and excellence. That's shining your light. At our last church, we had a, a man named Mark, and he, was, he had a heart for people who were on the margins of society, the poor, the addicted, because he had come from that, and he had a very good way of connecting with such people and listening to them. He would just develop these relationships, and, and they would tell him their story, and then he would tell them his story. His story about how Christ made a difference in his life and gave him the power to overcome addiction. And he was the one that started an addiction recovery program in our church. And people came to church as a result of that and heard the gospel. He let his light shine. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, neighbors who live out their faith in front of their children and their neighbors, they're letting their light shine. So the question for us is, you know, what does it look like, Christ, for me to shine your light in my life, in my ordinary, everyday life? What would that look like? And, and also to be encouraged as we do that, that it is making a difference. We may not see the difference. We may not see the results. We may never see it this side of eternity, but it is giving glory to God. And so be encouraged to continue on. The point of this passage is that as Christians, we have a role in this world. We have a responsibility in this world to be bearers of the goodness of God, salt and light. We thank God for the example of Christians like the Ten Boom family who were salt and light in an extraordinary way, in an extraordinarily dark time. But for the rest of us, we're called to be salt and light, mostly in ordinary, everyday ways, in our time and in our place. But this is a very high calling. It's for the good of others, and it's for the glory of God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your pronouncement that we are salt and light, and we thank you that through the work of your Spirit you develop character qualities in us so that we can be salt and light, and we pray that you will help us discern how in our everyday ordinary lives we can, we can um, shine brighter, and we can add more flavor, and we can be a, a preservative, if you will, against corrosion and corruption in the world. Help us to take this seriously and help us to to, uh, draw on your grace in order to do this for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.